0: Well, it's been um, uh, great the last few weeks. It's been a real blessing to me to, um, to be, uh, be able to focus on the camps that I've been a part of the last few weeks. And, and so it's also been great. One of the toughest things, honestly, about being a, a teaching pastor is um, that I don't get to sit under a great teacher on Sunday mornings. Um, I mean, true for a lot of you as well, sadly. But the, um, uh, but the last few weeks to get to sit under... Uh, Dr. Bob's teaching and then Paul's teaching. is just such an encouragement to me. And so I really appreciate that. And uh, and again, as I was leading some camps and some other things for our church and outside of the church, it was just a real blessing to be able to focus my attention there as well. Um, It's been great. Um, And also, one of the reasons we do this Devoted Sunday uh, thing the way we do, um, growing up, uh, we did all these things in church when I went to church as a kid and as a teenager, um, but I never knew what any of them meant. I didn't understand why we did them, and often it was because it was kind of just kind of stuck in as a moment. And so what we do, because we do communion every Sunday morning over here at about eight forty. In fact, we're probably about to move that up a little bit. John may have walked out of the room. About to move that up a little bit um, to more like eight thirty, and then we're going to be praying for people. Like every once in a while, people reach out and say, "Hey, could you come? Could we get the elders of the church or whatever to lay hands and pray for me?" and and we may just integrate that into our communion time um, on Sunday mornings as well. And so another have a part of that. Um, we do baptisms the first of every month. So why then do we take a Sunday, about four Sundays a year, and say this Sunday we're going to focus on this. And we're always trying to integrate two aspects of church. One is the, the, the um, dividing up, the unpacking of God's holy word together and kind of getting the marching orders and, and the huddle and at the end of the huddle going out into the game and and also those Sunday morning services, also a little bit of a Thanksgiving dinner. Families getting together, let's talk about things, let's discuss what we're doing and why we're doing them and teach the lessons. And so we're always trying to integrate those two concepts and, and devoted Sundays is, is a part of that. So today, um, what Blake and I are going to be ta- starting to talk about, it turns out, I'm going to take two Sundays. We thought we might could do it in one. First service, we got to where the clock countdown was in the negatives. You tricked me. And, uh, and yeah, we weren't <laughs> there yet. We still had about two-thirds of our notes left. And so I was like, listen, we're going to just uh, finish this next week. Um, uh, First Samuel will probably still be the same in two weeks, I suspect. Uh, it's probably going to be sitting there waiting for us in two weeks. I doubt if a lot's going to change between now and then. So um, anyway, just very exciting to get to do all of this. And, and to introduce Blake... Um, I, uh, until a few months ago, didn't really know Blake all that well, um, and so we, but, but for a few years we've been looking at how do we divide out um, Rebecca's job description, which was probably too big a job for two people, much less one person, um, and so I've been looking for several years for someone who I felt like I could take that and, and hand that to somebody, um, and so Blake and I, as I interviewed lots of people, um, and and not those weren't working out, and then get, sitting down with Blake and over two lengthy periods of time, several hours, sitting on my porch. Um, and the second time we did that, we found a very powerful sense of a kindred spirit, kind of a fanning into flame, um, the spirit in each other, talking about discipleship. And, and this is key because you, you might say, like, wow, I'm literally directly going to be in charge of a lot of the discipleship ministries. One of the things we'll do next week is even unpack how kind of everything we do here falls into the heading of discipleship. It uh, really is the main job of the, of the local church. And so as we talked about what it was to live as Christians and to lead as Christians and what that looked like in the church and what discipleship was, so we're going we're gonna to unpack that a little bit together today and, and next Sunday as well. Um, as learning to live as citizens in the kingdom, as Paul talked about, learning to, to live as his disciple makers and what that means. Um, and so one of those I just want to comment is, is the challenging... The challenge that we're able to give one another. And that's what's going to be happening these two Sundays is is experiencing a challenge. Um, Andy and I were talking in the first service just for a second as um, Hudson, as Hudson Bartlett was baptized and Hudson has sensory processing issues and and he was wearing the headphones and we were told like, hey, when we get done, please don't applaud. Everybody just do jazz hands instead because that'll be a a cool thing for him. And Andy was talking about the courage that it took him to come up in front of everybody and be baptized and experience that. And, and it, it, so I told him about, I was like, talk about just wiping away everyone else's excuse, right? I don't know what your excuse is for not being baptized, not having that testimony in front of everybody, um, but Hudson kind of got rid of it this morning. Whatever it was, Hudson kind of tossed it for you. So you too can experience that, that, um, that testimony, that obedient testimony for everybody um, to get to experience. That's a good example of discipleship. That in that sense, uh, Hudson kind of discipled us all this morning. He certainly schooled us um, if, we were, um, if we had any hesitation there. Um, last thing I want to mention before I hand this over to Blake to start unpacking our discipleship stuff, and this again fits with what we're talking about, as many of you know, that uh, my my firstborn son, Mark, got married this weekend, and he and Shannon got married. It was very exciting. I have a couple of pictures, and and one of the, the, the one of these pictures, really a couple of these pictures, really emphasize what part of what we're unpacking this morning. So this was super fun. The next one shows the first part of a moment. This is when I'm declaring them husband and wife, and this is when they realized they were married. In the service, and so they both leaned in, like, "Can you believe? Like, what is going? Like, show the. I think I sent a third one. Show the next one, as they're just, they really kind of were shocked. I asked them afterwards, like, "What happened in that moment?" And and Shannon said, "She said I've been to all these weddings, and someone always gets married. And it wasn't until then that I realized, wait, I'm the one getting married today. Like, <laughs> this is, like this, I'm the one on stage this time. So something that Blake's about to unpack for us in a minute is going to be this. When we talk about this, yes." You, yeah, it's you this time. It, it, we're all being called to this this time. Like you don't—I mean, not to turn my son's wedding into a sermon illustration here, but <laughs> it was a great realization. Yeah, if you if you walk out this morning going like that was so sweet, something happened on stage. You didn't realize what was happening this. You didn't realize what was happening this morning, and so and we're going to unpack that a little bit. And so I'm going to I'm going to toss this over. Yes, is it hard work? Is marriage going to be hard work for them? Of course it is. Marriage is always hard work. Um, but man, it's not, it's not, we don't come at it as some kind of a drudgery of hard work. It is, I can't wait to get to this. Let's do this thing. Let's, let's, yes, this is me. This is about me and this is about us. So anyway, if you will, our race is short. We're going to unpack this this morning to, to be prepared and apparently next week as well. So,
1: That's right. So take it away, Blake. Cool. Um, well, you know, I, I had the benefit of being discipled in our uh, in a local church, um, you know, as a, at a very young age, and I didn't realize, you know, growing up in the children's ministry, preschool ministry, and then youth ministry, that, that discipleship was happening, but it really was, and it paid off. And so, um, when the the when the switch flipped was in high school for me, when uh, a young seminary guy. Uh, Greg, he, he took myself and, and a couple of my buddies and, and some uh, other high schoolers aside and just, we called ourselves the DPS group, the Dead Poets Society group.
0: Very creative. We'd, we'd
1: bring lawn chairs and we would go like to odd places to have a Bible study and we'd have a Bible study together, memorize scripture. And, and uh, I realized then I'm being discipled. I'm being discipled right now. And I'm seeing mutual discipleship happen between myself and a and, and couple of my friends that I still keep in touch with today. Um, And then in college, I was looking for that same relationship. I was looking for more people to to invest in me, and then I also wanted to be obedient and invest in others. And so uh, there was another time that uh, someone was discipling me that they shared with me two questions, and I want to share them with you now and and look at Scripture. Uh, But the first question is, what was God's first command to man, to mankind? And that first question, uh, or excuse me, that first command is in Genesis 1, 28. Uh, when God says to man and woman, he says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. I mean, multiply, have physical children all over the earth. We have, there's this big earth I've just created for you, fill it with, with people. And so um, the, then the second question that, that my friend asked was, what was the last command that Jesus gave us before he ascended to heaven. Um, What was the last command? So that is, uh, we hear that all the time as the Great Commission. That's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We saw that today. Mm -hmm. Um, And teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you to the end of the age." So the the first command that God gives mankind is go and multiply, go have physical children. And then the last command that Jesus gives uh, his disciples and all those who follow him, the last command he gives before he leaves and and says, hey, I gotta go, but I'm gonna send a counselor who will remind you, the Holy Spirit, who will remind you of everything that I've taught you. And he says, uh, go and make disciples. He says, go and multiply fill the earth. Mm -hmm. Sorry. He says, go and multiply, Uh, make spiritual children. So have spiritual children. So teaching others to teach others to know me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the reason, I I love this because the reason that you and I, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus today, the reason that we are followers of Jesus right now Mm -hmm. is because someone was obedient to that command right? Someone followed Christ and shared Christ with you and shared the gospel with you. And then um, you're being discipled in our life groups or, or in here on Sunday mornings, or you have others that are pouring into your lives. Um, someone is being obedient to that. The other thing that I love about Jesus' last command is that I like to think of it as this is his plan A, uh, do you remember in the New Testament when uh, the, they say these are uneducated men? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, these are uneducated men who are uh, seeing these amazing things happen. Well, well, Jesus put in the hands of some of these uneducated men who'd been walking with him, and this is his, all of his eggs in one basket to reach the entire world with the gospel. Mm. It's, it's a pretty powerful moment. And sometimes we think, well, we as a church are supposed to make disciples. We are. Who's supposed to make it? We are us. Right. We make disciples. But sometimes we, uh, when we use we and us, we don't realize that also means me. Um, and so, you know, I, next week we have a, a life group brunch. And uh, sometimes if you send out a group text to like 100 people and say, hey, someone bring napkins. What's the first thing that you think of? Oh, somebody's gonna take care of that, right? Somebody'll get that. You know, it won't it won't
0: be me, but somebody'll get that. I referenced in the first service. That was a um, this was a this is a common theme. Uh, A friend of mine named Randy Collins, who I was was a team with, used to say this all the time. And now, now Paul says it sometimes is that we have to be very careful. If everyone's job is to feed the dog, then a lot of times the dog starves. Um, And so it needs to be that that. I mean, there is an important aspect to which, of course. We do this, and that's, uh, that there is a truth in that. We do this, but we have to be careful that we don't fall into that trap mm-hmm. of we means someone will do this.
1: Uh, well, actually, a passage that, that Blake's about to take us to, we'll unpack that a little more, too. Yeah, and sometimes you think, well, uh, the, the pastor is going to do discipleship. The, you know, the seminary graduates are going to do discipleship. Right. The professional but, Christians. Right, right. Uh, and so what I want us to say this morning, just as a, as a testament of commitment, is, is I want you and I to say that God has chosen me to make disciples, so, so if you are a follower of Jesus this morning and you just took communion with us, I want you to say that with me. Repeat after me. God has chosen me to make disciples. God, God has chosen, chosen me, me to, to make, make disciples. disciples. Awesome. Well, I want you to prayerfully consider those words. And so, and so when you have uh, this word disciple, sometimes, uh, you know, it, it's, it means learner, uh, but not to go to Webster's right now, but to define it a way that my friend Paul, um, who's not the Apostle Paul, but he's a different Paul, um, and not this Paul either, uh, but a different Paul, but uh, the way he defines discipleship uh, is someone who has a heart for Jesus, and their schedule reflects it. Mm. Someone who has a heart for Jesus and their schedule reflects it. And that, that uh, challenges me because that means my mornings look different. Sometimes my lunchtime looks different. Sometimes, you know, the time that I spend with others looks different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, the definition I like for discipleship is because of your influence, I am becoming more like Jesus. Because of your influence, I'm becoming more like Jesus. So anybody that we spend time with uh, and we're discipling, we want them to look more like Jesus. Uh, And we see that, too, illustrated in Proverbs 27, 17, when it says, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And so uh, we see that that mutual discipleship can happen between uh, believers. Um, Well, and I wanted to also talk about briefly the motivation for discipleship. Not only has Christ commanded us, but he's given us that blessing, that opportunity to to be his plan A and and to do discipleship. But Jesus had a prayer that he wanted us to pray in Matthew chapter nine, in verse 36 and 38, Jesus Jesus told the crowds, or uh, told his disciples, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So, so he's saying, look at all these, the crowds. They're hopeless, they're dejected, they're depressed, they're sad, they're anxious. Um, and they need a shepherd. They need hope. And, uh, and it is too great for just us. So we have to do it a little differently. Hmm. And so uh, he called us to pray. For more laborers? Are you willing to pray? Am I willing to pray for more laborers? And then am I also willing to kind of uh, to think, man, maybe I am the answer to that prayer. Maybe maybe I'm the laborer that needs to go into the harvest and to to train more laborers and to continue to pray, God, show me more people that I can uh, bring to you. So then you have to ask that question, well, what's the thing that's holding me back? What are the barriers that hold me back from that? This, um, this passage, I don't remember when
0: it was, but at some point reading through this passage, I had all my life read it and it felt like, it didn't feel like a very Jesus passage. It didn't feel like something Jesus would say to me. Um, it felt weird to me that Jesus would say, the harvest is plentiful. It seems like Jesus would say, so get to work. Like That's what I would expect Him to say next. Is like. So sharpen up the scythe and get your baskets and start harvesting. And, and it's so, it always felt like a very much so a non sequitur to me that he says, so pray. Now I know part of that's my own error, my own theological and biblical error that I see prayer as the opposite event of activity. Um, I don't know if any of the rest of you struggle with that, but I can either act or I can pray but it feels like if I'm praying I'm not acting. Um, by the way, I'm not, I'm not saying that's right, that is wrong. It's a sinful attitude, it's a confession I'm making that, that we don't want to have that attitude. And also the realization that he's, what he's saying here is not ask God to send harvesters instead of you, mm-hmm. which I think is how I had always seen it. It's like, God, someone needs to go. So I pray you send someone. One is I am that someone, and two, I'm also not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, these, these first few disciples were not enough. The need is going to grow faster than the disciples will increase. And Jesus knew this, and so he was saying, pray that the Lord of the harvest to send harvesters, even as you to come alongside of you, not not to replace you, not to not to take over instead of you. That that to me struck me as a, as pretty significant. So, um, and I got to encourage you. Um, we interviewed for the uh, for the Reconstructed Faith podcast. We interviewed Dr. Dennison this week, and it was if, uh, I hope when that episode. I'm not sure if it'll be next or the next one or whatever, but I hope you'll hear that. Um, it was fascinating to hear someone who is a, a worldview thinker like he is. Um, as it sounded like the first part of the interview, it sounds like, man, things are bad and getting worse as we're talking about this. But then at some point, I, I asked him some version of, so do we have any hope for this? What is this going to mean? He's like, oh, oh, yeah. We're starting to, I, he said, I believe we're starting to see a turn, which means the harvesters, it's time. We've got to be ready. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got a world that's starting to wake up to the fact that, hey, this stuff we've been doing this last generation it ain't working. And we're kind of lost and confused and we don't have any ideas and we don't know what to do. So that was, a, again, a reminder of that. Uh, Dr. Bob, a couple of weeks ago, referenced these. when you talk about these barriers, he referenced this phrase, the only antidote to greed is giving. I don't think he just meant that for the church, he meant that for each of us individually as well. Not, not just the antidote to the greed problem, but the antidote to my greed problem is to give. When I give, I begin to cure my own greed problems. Um, and that's not, that's not just about money. Obviously it's about time. And maybe for us, especially as Americans, the hardest part is what it's about is discomfort. Um, inconvenience. That's what, we, that's what we fight against the most. Everything about our lives, everything the world offers us is about convenience. Um, getting it my way, the way I want it without having to work hard for it. And that never, discipleship is never going to do that. As a, a friend of mine used to say, you cannot microwave discipleship um it's it's got to be done uh, the the right way the whole way um and and this is part of the feeling that i have i don't know about you guys but um and and you know i'm i'm in that middle age range of i'm about 50 years old and starting to realize i've probably got you know 25ish years of ministry left maybe lord willing and and start realizing uh, i feel this sense of urgency this pressure in fact um, going through the the wedding ceremony and all that kind of stuff, starting to feel almost a sense of panic as I think about, I don't have enough time to invest in my kids. I don't have enough time to invest in my marriage. I, I'm running out of time here. I need like I need to be feeling a sense of urgency to invest and engage. And mm. and how do I do this well? Um, I, I realized so that my went on a retreat with my eldest daughter a couple of years ago when she graduated and. And I said, how many times do you think you and I just went on a walk? I just got you on like a, a one day and said, hey, let's just you and I go walk and just talk. And she was like, I, you know, she'd said maybe 10 to 12 times over the last 10 years or so. And, uh, and I said, that's what I would have guessed too, about 10 to 12 times. And we had lunches. And we did other things too. But just as far as like, let's just go walk. What she didn't know when I told her then was that it was on my calendar for every single month, on the seventh of every month, go walk with Ellie. So there should have been 120 mm. walks not 10 to 12. And so I confess this to her and apologize. Like It's amazing how much the urgency of life takes the things that are most important to us away. And, and the, the, the world is not good at important. It knows it's not. Uh, that's for, therefore, it fights for urgent. Um, it knows social media is not really important and it knows filling your gas tanks, not always that, all that important, but it is urgent. Um, and knows that you know, all these different things, making more money or whatever, they're not that important but they are urgent and it's amazing how quickly those overwhelm us and to focus more attention on, on the things that are important when we can now being the graceful young woman that she is, she was like I don't know many girls who got 10 to 12 like, and, and all the other times we had tons of other times together but she said I didn't, know all the other, I didn't know about the other times on the schedule that you missed it uh, but, but, man, what a, I, I start feeling this sense of, when do I get to this? Like, I now have a daughter-in-law. How do I start investing in her, right? And they're going to have kids someday. Well, how am I start investing in them? How do I have time to, to invest in all these people who I'm running out of time to invest in? I think that sense of urgency is, is healthy. How do I do this? How do I invest? Um, and so let me, let me describe this, the, the South Spring. Uh, we, we focus on three passages here at South Spring. It is still my turn. I'm just talking a lot. All right, so here's so that we we still have the, the South Spring way we look at this. These three verses. The first is the definition of discipleship through this per, through this passage. All these definitions are right. Uh, Matthew ten twenty five, which tells us that it's enough for the disciple to be like the teacher. It's enough for the the servant to become like his master or his or her master. This is the this is really the definition that we are becoming like our teacher. Becoming like our master. And so how do we do that? How do we become more like Jesus? How do we become more like him? And so everything we do in the, in the local church is about us, each and all, becoming more like him. So how do we do that? Well, there's two main ways that we run into of engaging with that. And, and one, there, it's two relationships defined. One is the teacher role. One is the student role. These are the two main roles when it comes to discipleship. And each of us need both of those in our lives. And we need to be both of those in other people's lives. And so when we unpack these, 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 is a simple one. Um, follow me or imitate me as I am imitating Christ. Mimic me as I mimic Christ. And so this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. When I'm like Christ, follow me. Now, to the degree I'm not like Christ, don't follow me. Or where I'm not like Christ, don't follow me. Where I am like Christ, follow me. And I would go so far as to say, where I'm not like Christ, lead me. Um, I need your leadership when I'm in the areas that aren't like Christ, and and you need mine in the areas that I am. And this is true for all of us. Um, So that's one. Are we looking for people that we can follow in the way that they're like Christ? And are we creating those opportunities? And then the second one, 2 Timothy 2.2, which is another well-known passage, which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust of faithful men, We'll be able to teach others also. This is not about men and men only, obviously, men and women, that we need to be able to take what God has taught us and then pass that on to somebody else. That we're passing on what we've learned to other people. This is this is a big deal. We need this. We need to be able to pass this on, what we've learned. When we say I can't make disciples, what we're proclaiming is God has taught me nothing. And you say, Well, I'm I'm barely more than a baby in Christ good news, we have babies and you can go sit with them and hold them and rock them and sing to them and the very basic principles of the gospel they need. And if that's all you have, we've got a perfect audience for you. And hopefully you're growing and learning and saying, here's what God has taught me. Here's how I pass this along to you. And we both need these. Um, so you're going to go into that, show those examples that we need.
1: Yeah, and uh, Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2 is so important uh, because it, it just explains how multiplication and how those spiritual children happen is because you have uh, someone that you disciple, and then not only do you disciple them or, and teach them about the commands of Jesus, but you also teach them, hey, now it's your role to go and find someone to invest in and pour into, right? So that's how the multiplication continues to happen. Um, and, and in the New Testament, we see uh, three guys who I just want to highlight for a second and just show you these, uh, the relationship these three men had together. Um, one is Paul. So we just heard from him as he spoke to Timothy, um, and then Barnabas. And so uh, Paul and Barnabas had a unique uh, relationship as well. And, and um, I want to sh- illustrate that with Acts chapter 11, uh, 25 and 26. Uh, It says, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And so Paul, Paul I mean, uh, Barnabas went to get Saul and said, hey, come, let's, let's go uh, to Antioch and let's serve together. Let's serve the Lord together. And a great many people became uh, believers in Jesus and were discipled because these two men served the Lord together, and, shoulder to shoulder. And
0: Saul became Paul right. through that process. Yeah, thanks yeah.
1: for pointing that out. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, yeah later it says, uh, also called Paul, but mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, so they, shoulder to shoulder, um, uh, just served God together. And so uh, the question is, like, who is my Barnabas? Who's the guy that I, or, or the lady for you ladies, who, who's the person that I stand shoulder to shoulder with and, and just serve the Lord with uh, to see the kingdom come? Um, and then the, the one we already mentioned with Timothy, Paul and Timothy, you know, Paul is investing in Timothy and he calls him um, his son in, in the Lord. And so, um, so the Paul-Timothy is like that mentor relationship. So the ultimate questions become, well, not ultimate, but one of the questions becomes, okay, who's my Paul? Who is investing in me? Uh, who is uh, discipling me? And then who's my Barnabas? Who am I just serving the Lord week in, week out with? Uh, and we're, we're growing the kingdom together. Um, and then who is my Timothy? The person that is maybe uh, not as mature in the faith as me or just somebody I'm just investing in intentionally. Like I'm really thinking about how can I make, uh, help them to follow Jesus in a closer way. And so who is my Paul, who is my uh, Barnabas, and who is my Timothy? And so uh, I think that's, that's what we should be asking and, and looking for those people. So when we go to church, when we go to Life Group, when we go to the store, uh, when we go to the same cafe in week in, week out for lunch, like maybe there's that waiter that you've uh, formed a relationship and you can invest in them mm-hmm. each week. So...
0: This is so. This is we're gonna we're gonna stop here. This is where we're we're about a third of the way through our conversation on this, and realizing, you know, we're we're now over time a little bit. And so the encouragement for today is is going to be specific to this conversation about discipleship. Where are you in that process? So, if you will, let's stand and and consider in this time of invitation, what is the Spirit saying? Where are you in this conversation? Where are you in this process? In unpacking this, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? That's first. He has to be our over shepherd, our main teacher, the headmaster of the school, The pick whatever title you want. All of us are subservient. We're all under him on the org chart. And so, <clears throat> we, are, so we may be shepherd sheep to one another, but he is the, he is the shepherd, the over shepherd who guides us. So if you don't know him, if you've never put your faith in him, then I would urge you, call upon you to to follow him, to put your faith in him and trust him. Um, Let today be the day of salvation for you. So if you have, then the next question is exactly, we just went through a great series of evaluation. You can ask, who are my Pauls? Who are my Barnabases? Who are my Timothys? Who are those in my life? And it may not always fall perfectly in alignment with that the way we want it to, uh, but are we being intentional about seeking that, pursuing that, and living that out? Um, next week we'll discuss, I mean, we just did family dedications. Family is the first place for that. Family, God clearly is creating those three relationships. The, 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 the partner in ministry with the spouses and the, and the parent-child relationships. Family is the discipleship model. I say that parenting is, the, is discipleship that neither party can escape. That's what parenting is. And so that you're intentionally, but are we doing that intentionally or are we just letting it happen? Um, how are we intentionally investing there and engaging there? Those are, these are the questions to be asking ourselves in our homes and in our communities. Um, and as Blake was saying, in, out into the further community. So where are you in that process and, and what is God telling you, speaking to you through his spirit to guide us into that next step? Another part of that step is having a, a family, is having a, a community. And we're going to unpack that more next week. A community of believers like the local church, and so that you would say, "Listen, I I need uh, I need to find a dysfunctional family that I can join." Well, we've 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 got all the dysfunction you need right here. You can join with us um, if that's where you are. If you're at a place like that, if if you just want to start the conversation, you can do that with anybody along the way, or send an email or whatever. If you've been through that process, our welcome home process, and uh, and you've talked to Lance and others, and you're ready to come and join our dysfunctional family, we would love to have you do that today too. Um, you can come up here for any reason to come pray for any reason. Um, we'd love to have you here, or 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 um, just listen to the Spirit, whatever He has for you.